Today on Cross Defense, we're talking about Pope Francis and Fiducia Supplicans, which is the document he signed allowing priests to bless same-sex couples. Is it a surprise that the papal authority would be used for such evil? Uh, no. An examination of our treatise on the power and primacy of the Pope reminds us that we have always known of the Pope's anti-Christian ways. Let's get into it. Jeff wrote in during the Christmas break saying, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. I hope you're well. My wife and I are listeners to Cross Defense from the East Coast. We wanted to thank you and your congregation for being such a great witness and encouragement to us. Well, thank you, Jeff. Thank you for the words of encouragement, for for sending your words to me. I truly appreciate your support and, and your words of encouragement. They're, they're very kind and they are building me up absolutely it's an honor to be of service to you and your wife in the name of the Lord, and I speak not only for myself, but I'm sure for the congregation as well. It is a blessing to be of service and to be able to use this technology to expand our service here, our little tiny church in Ferndale, to reach people even on the East Coast. So uh, that's a blessing, and we're happy to do it. Caleb also wrote in regarding the episode from December 9th, 2023, Contraception and the Pre-1960s America. And he said, I just listened to the cross-defense segment that came out today, and I heard your comments on screens in the divine service. I wanted to ask if this also includes using projectors to project hymns, the words in each divine service setting, readings, and whatnot. Love the work you've been doing out on the Lost Coast and everywhere. Thank you for making me more Lutheran than I've ever been. <laughs> wow, my pleasure, Caleb. My pleasure to be of such service. As is our custom, friends, stick around to the end of the episode to hear my reply to our brother's question. Now, let's get into the show. Welcome to Cross Defense, friends. It feels like ages since the last time we spoke. The Christmas season has come and, and it's gone, and the special programming here at KFUO is it's all wrapped up. I pray it was a blessing to you during our celebration of the Lord's birth. It is such a wonderful time of year, isn't it? In case you forgot, this is the show that aims to equip the mind, excite the imagination, and comfort the soul, and we aim to do all of that goodness with God's Word. I'm your host, Reverend Tyrell Bramwell. I'm the pastor of St. Mark Lutheran Church out here in Ferndale, California, where, get this, get this, friends, we haven't surrendered the rainbow to the LGBTQ legion, no sir. And unlike the Antichrist, we do not bless homosexual couples. True story. If during the course of the show you want to send in your comments, your questions, or your bits of biblical brilliance, because I know you got them, you can do so by going to tyrellbramwell.com slash contact. That's T-Y-R-E-L-B-R-A-M-W-E-L-L dot com slash contact. Just my name. I'd love to hear from you. During the Christmas break, though we weren't producing cross-defense episodes, and even though I was still busy over at the church with all of our Advent and Christmas stuff, I was busy also moving from the Winged Lion studio over at St. Mark across the street to the Parsonage, where now I'm recording the show from my den. Let's call it the Lion's Den, shall we? We are still in the Lion's Den out here in California. And, well, St. Mark is still represented by a lion, so it makes sense. And this was done to improve the audio quality just a little bit here in our remote studio, so I hope you've, uh, you're going to be able to enjoy that improvement just a little bit. It's also going to, be going to enable me to make even more instructional content for you in my spare time from this space, which I've already been doing. Uh, 
I've been dialing in the lighting and all the sound and all the different things for uh, YouTube videos. That's going to be the primary way you can get this content, of course, as you know. And if you're interested in extra content for your devotional life and for your instruction in the Word of God, you can go to my YouTube videos. That's where I post all of this kind of stuff, and it's at uh, youtube.com slash Tyrell Bramwell. Again, just my name, youtube.com slash Tyrell Bramwell. And you can see my top read books of 2023, and you can see an analysis of Huberman's view of prayer, and I, I don't know, all kinds of videos during the break have been going up over there, so love for you to join us over on that platform. Okay, so a lot of stuff happened while we were off the air, friends. One of the biggest things was what the Antichrist did on December 18th, 2023. Did you see this? Pope Francis approved the blessing of same-sex couples. Let me start by saying that if you don't buy Bud Light anymore because that company tried to push the LGBTQ Legion's agenda through their sponsorship of Dylan Mulvaney, if you don't shop at Target anymore because those stores now sell rainbow clothing, uh, the Legion's line of clothing to kids, if you canceled your Disney Plus subscription or don't go to Disneyland anymore because every movie and TV show and character is a piece of propaganda to convert you and your children into allies and adherents of LGBTQ lies, if you're done being affiliated with the evil and complicit in the sins of these international companies because of the decisions and, and the policies implemented by their leadership, if that's you, and if you happen to be Roman Catholic, then you can see why you should certainly terminate your membership in the Roman Catholic Church. Now, I know not most of you are, most of you are probably Lutheran, not Catholic, but you get the point. How much worse is it to support the Pope's sins over and against the sinfulness of, say, a Bob Iger or some beer company? See, the Pope comes in the name of Christ and is actively and intentionally leading people away from the Lord and his word. See, it's called a boycott in the marketplace. In the church, it's called a reformation. So join it. Be consistent in the good fight of faith and take a stand with the rest of us who've been protesting this exact evil for 500 years. The trail has already been blazed, friends. You don't have to worry anymore about being burned to the stake by the, the Pope's minions. No, all of that kind of threat is gone because we already stood up to the Antichrist and the gospel prevailed, breaking the Pope's power to use violence as persuasion. So join us, friends, and say as Martin Luther did, my conscience is captive to the word of God. Here I stand. I can do no other so help me God. Amen. Okay, so you haven't been keeping up with the ways of the darkness? I get it. I get it. You were a little preoccupied during the Christmas season celebrating the birth of Christ? <laughs> well, hallelujah, friend. Let's catch you up. The Pope officially okayed the blessing of same-sex couples by signing a document called Fiducia Supplicans. Popular Roman Catholic YouTuber Brian Holdsworth, he took the time to read through the document which was presented by the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith on the Pastoral Meaning of Blessings. So, let's get it from the horse's mouth, shall we? Listen to what Brian has to say. So the opening presentation, which is a letter from uh, Cardinal Victor uh, Fernandez, who is the head of the Dicastery, um, 
It says, it is precisely in this context that one can understand the possibility of blessing couples in irregular situations, as in divorced and remarried, so adulterous couples, and same-sex couples without officially validating their status or changing in any way the church's perennial teaching on marriage. So we're not validating, you know, the, the nature of their relationship, but we are affirming that they are a couple and this is a blessing for a couple. It doesn't, it doesn't distinguish them as individuals or anything like that. Then in paragraph two, it says, encouraged by such a great and consoling truth, this dicastery has considered several questions of both a formal and an informal nature about the possibility of blessing same-sex couples. So they're laying the foundation of what the subject matter is that they're considering here. And they explicitly say this is about blessing same-sex couples with no further distinction about that. Then in paragraph 30, it says that the ordained minister join in prayer of those persons who, although in a union that cannot be compared in any way to a marriage, desire to entrust themselves to the Lord and his mercy. So it describes them not only as couples, but in some sort of a union. Although, again, distinct from a marriage, we're not recognizing this as a marriage, but we are recognizing it as a union. And then in paragraph 31, this is the explicit um, the declaration. So after considering their, their whole argument and explanation and teaching about it, it says, within the horizon outlined here appears the possibility of blessings for couples. And then it specifically says in irregular situations and for couples of the same sex. Then in paragraph 41, as it approaches its conclusion, it says, what has been said in this declaration regarding the blessings of same sex couples is sufficient to guide the prudent and fatherly discernment discernment of ordained ministers in this regard. So, if you hear someone defending this document saying, it doesn't bless couples or unions, now you know, dear saints, that's not true. So I've heard some prominent conservative Roman Catholic commentators brushing this off with the argument that there's nothing new here because the church has, well, she's always blessed sinners. Indeed, yeah, we do. But that's not what this is. This is specifically allowing for priests to bless not sinful individuals, but these sinful couples. We're not talking about persons, but a union, a God-grieving union of homosexuals and adulterous unions as well. Now, we got more from the Catholics today. Catholic apologist Trent Horn went on Ben Shapiro's show and then he put this recap of the interview he had on his own YouTube channel. Take a listen to what Trent Horn has to say. I wanted to communicate that some reports about this new Vatican document are simply not true, uh, like reports that the church has changed its teaching on marriage or that the church is now, now allowing for formal liturgical blessings for same-sex couples that resemble gay weddings. That's not true. The church has not changed its teaching on marriage, and it has prohibited the kinds of things being advocated for in Germany, like formal blessings in a ritual or liturgy for so-called same-sex couples. But I also wanted to affirm that this document is confusing, and Catholics can rightly criticize it for lacking certain elements, including references to things like seeking God's blessing, specifically to lead people to repentance from sin. 
One thing I should have added in our interview is the scandal of this document blurring the lines between blessing individuals who are in a sinful relationship so as to lead them closer to God, and creating a situation where it looks like a priest is blessing the sinful relationship itself. Even the phrase, gay couple, in the document can create this impression, and so it should have been avoided. The danger is that permission for a spontaneous blessing that could be okay for people in a sinful relationship who genuinely seek after God will become permission for so-called same-sex couples to purposefully seek out these blessings simply to validate their own sinful desires. And as he speaks about the confusion of the document, he demonstrates it, doesn't he? Did you hear it? He said it could create a situation where it looks like the priest is blessing the sinful relationship itself. It doesn't look like that. It is that, Trent. It is that. The individuals could already be blessed by priests. Indeed, this document was written to permit priests to bless the couples, which affirms the sin. If that's not the case, there's no need for this document. So then you might be wondering, well, why do we care? We're Lutherans. Some of you might be asking that kind of a question. I'm a Lutheran. Pastor Bramwell, there's all kinds of things wrong with the Roman Catholic Church. I already know that. <laughs> What's one more? Well, true enough, friend. True enough. I get it. But we ought to be equipped to help our Roman Catholic friends escape the ecclesiastical influence of the Antichrist. Ought we not? And not just them. But think about this. Think about what the Pope's weight is on this issue, what it does to all of our neighbors who are caught up in the LGBTQ lies. Think about the credence his false teaching gives. These Edmonds, let's say, who are currently relishing in the Turkish delight that they've been given by the Pope, if you know what I mean. If you don't, you seriously need to read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, just as an aside, and uh, I'll leave the, the Butterfat book links uh, to your to where you can order a copy of that great novel for yourself in the show notes down below. The Pope is giving credibility to the darkness that they're enslaved to. He's trapping them with what they think is good for them, but is not. We've been trying to love our neighbors and to bring them to repentance. And then the devil's papal pony pukes this rainbow puree into the public conversation, and these lost souls are pigs in the mire clinging to the words of the most influential Christian clergyman in the world as validation that faithful Christians are wrong and they will not perish in their unrepentance. That's what they're being led to think. All right, let's take a break right here, right now, and we'll come back and we'll continue our conversation about the Antichrist and fiducia supplicans. Thanks for tuning in to Cross Defense. I missed you guys. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Put this wisdom of God into practice by listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple, 
and faithful pastors from around the world help sharpen my faith in Christ every episode. I know you'll be blessed by listening and studying God's Word with us. Listen to Sharper Iron weekdays at 8 a.m. on KFUO and on demand at KFUO.org, the KFUO radio app, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Jeremiah 6.14 says, They dressed the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Hmm. It's true, friends. Whether we like it or not, the Pope is the most influential clergyman in all of Christendom. And that's exactly what he's doing. He's telling people, peace, peace, where there is no peace. Rod Dreher, author of The Benedict Option, maybe you've heard of that, and Live Not By Lies, both are excellent reads, of course, links in the show notes. He sat down with Metropolitan Hilarion of the Orthodox Church, and he asked him what he thought about the Pope's approval of fiducia supplicants. Let's hear what he had to say. So I'm here with Metropolitan Hilarion to talk about the meaning of this uh, bombshell document, uh, what it means for Christians uh, living in the West, not only Catholics, but all of us who live in the West, and the future of Orthodox Catholic relations. Uh, Vladika, what did you think when you first heard of, of this document and saw what it had to say? What were your initial uh, impressions? Well, uh, my initial impression was uh, a kind of a shock, because uh, I think we always cite the Roman Catholic Church as a beacon of traditional Christianity, uh, the Church which uh, always uh, supports the traditional Christian values and the traditional Christian moral teaching, uh, in spite of the fact that uh, from many different angles it is attacked for this uh, traditionalism, for this uh, supposed uh, stubbornness, especially from various uh, Protestant communities. And we have been witnessing in recent decades how many uh, Protestant churches adopted this uh, liberal point of view, uh, departed from uh, traditional Christian teaching on the moral issues, including the issue of same-sex relationship. Now we see in this new document that uh, in the Roman Catholic Church, while they underline that they are not changing the essence of the teaching on marriage, still they allow, under certain circumstances, uh, some forms of blessing uh, the homosexual couples. And this is indeed a revolution, this is indeed a big change, and I personally think that it is a very unfortunate change, because as you said, it is a trap, it is a loophole, and it uh, gives um, the opportunity to those priests who want to uh, bless homosexual couples to do this. And I can predict that very soon it will become a big business, a big industry in the Catholic Church, because uh, it will be on demand. Uh, 
such priests uh, will be very popular in certain circles and they will uh, practice these uh, blessings, so to speak, with the permission from the Vatican. And indeed, it's the case. The document was released on December 18th, and on December 19th, the New York Times published this headline, Making History on a Tuesday Morning with the Church Blessing, a day after the Pope's announcement that Catholic priests may bless same-sex couples, one New York couple receives theirs. This is a grave evil, friends, and in the face of it, we serve our neighbors well to remind them of the wickedness of the papacy, which we confessional Lutherans, we've never, ever shied away from. Well, that is until we got comfortable, right, in our post-war American affluence, and we stopped being as faithful as we once were. See, it isn't politically correct anymore to call someone the Antichrist. Well, yeah, of course that's not. Because it's true, political correctness means to say a lie and to say it in a, a nice-sounding way, to beat around the bush and to deceive people, right? It, may, it might upset someone you love who's Roman Catholic, so we dare not say something like that. Well, I know, yeah, it will upset them, I get, I get it. But nevertheless, guys, it's true. Ask yourself this, do you know what else might upset someone you love? A friend, a family member. How about ending up in hell because he followed the Antichrist? That might upset him eternally. And we have the ability to say something to change that, to alter that reality, to where our friends and our family members aren't led into hell by this clergyman who comes in the name of Jesus and is saying, peace, peace, where there is no peace. We don't serve our neighbors well by soft-shoeing around the truth. It's the last days, and there's no shortage of people who are always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth, as per 2 Timothy 3.7, yeah? Lutherans have publicly stated, we're on the record with our position. And Layman, your pastor took our confessions of truth as his own words when he was ordained. Your congregation has too. Just take a look at your congregation's constitution. One of the, the first articles, customarily, usually around Article 3 or so, says something like, this congregation acknowledges and accepts all the canonical books of the Old and New Testament as the revealed word of God, verbally inspired and acknowledges and accepts all the confessional writings of the Evangelical Lutheran Church contained in the Book of Concord, of the year 1580 to be a true and genuine exposition of the doctrines of the Bible. The treatise on the power and the primacy of the Pope is one of these confessional writings in the Book of Concord. What do we read in it? If you have your Book of Concord handy, let's start at paragraph 38 of the treatise on the power and the primacy of the Pope. Even if the Roman bishop possessed primacy and superiority by divine right, one would still not owe obedience to those pontiffs who defend ungodly forms of worship, idolatry, and teachings inimical to the gospel. On the contrary, one should regard such pontiffs and such rule as anathema. So Paul clearly teaches, if an angel from heaven should proclaim to you a gospel contrary to what we proclaim to you, 
let that one be accursed. Anathema, Galatians 1.8, right? Again, in Acts 5.29, we must obey God rather than any human authority. The canons also clearly teach that a heretical pope is not to be obeyed. So what is meant here in this document by these canons? The reformers are talking about the collection of almost 3,800 texts that were compiled by the Benedictine monk called Gratian around 1140 AD. Did you know that? Gratian is known as the father of canon law. 1,100 years after Christ, 1,100 years after Christ, canon law. 400 years before the German Christians successfully stood up to the heretical papacy. What we're reading here in our treatise on the power and the primacy of the Pope is, is the biblical reason not to obey the false teachings of the Pope. Oh, and if that's not enough for you, even though a thousand years later it was good enough, your beloved canon law says so too. That's what we're getting here. The reason and the rationale of the reformers saying, okay, look at the scriptures, but for those of you who have a hard time relying on the scriptures, you can also look at these 3,800 documents compiled by a Benedictine monk 1,100, 1,000 years later. They knew how to argue and how to use their rhetoric to make the point, which is why they were successful. Well, that and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> yeah. Back to the treatise. We read, the Levitical high priest was supreme by divine right. Nevertheless, ungodly high priests were not to be obeyed. Jeremiah and other prophets dissented from them, as we read at the top of this segment, right? The apostles dissented from Caiaphas and were not obliged to obey him. It's well known, however, that the Roman pontiffs and their minions defend ungodly doctrines and worship practices. Moreover, the marks of the Antichrist clearly fit the reign of the Pope and his minions. For describing the Antichrist to the Thessalonians, Paul calls him an adversary of Christ, who exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, declaring himself to be God. That's 2 Thessalonians 2.4. He's speaking, therefore, of someone reigning in the church, not of pagan rulers, and he calls that one an adversary of Christ because he will invent doctrine that conflicts with the gospel and he will arrogate to himself divine authority. And what is this fiducia supplicant, if not an arrogation of divine authority? In 1 Timothy 1, verses 8 to 11, we read, Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and the sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. But the Pope, <laughs> in his lawlessness, says, oh, I know better than God. We can bless gay unions. Let's just not do it in a ritualistic way. The very congregation of Rome received this word from Christ's apostle, from Paul, 
For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. Though they know God's righteous decree, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. That's Romans 1, 26 to 28 and verse 32. Doesn't it sound like what the Pope's doing? Giving approval to those who do them, making it a blessing. Yeah, the Pope and his minions know God's righteous decree, but have chosen to give approval to those who practice this sin, which, lest we forget, falls under sex outside of marriage, sexual immorality, fornication, because even if they describe the homosexual relationship as a couple or a union, it'll never meet God's definition of marriage. So what St. Paul writes to, to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 5 pertains not only to heterosexual sinners, but to homosexual sinners as well. What does Paul say? Hey, let's bless those who are committing sexual immorality so as to draw them closer to God. No, he says it's actually reported that there's sexual immorality among you, sex outside of marriage among you, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from you. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit's present, With the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. I'm now writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Purge the evil person from among you. But what does the Antichrist say? And I quote, Let us remain vigilant against rigid ideological positions that often, under the guise of good intentions, separate us from reality and prevent us from moving forward. Hmm. When asked, What do you say to an LGBTQ Catholic who has experienced rejection from the church? You know, the kind that St. Paul commanded, actually removing the person from the church? Well, this is what Pope Francis said. His answer was, I would have them recognize, recognize it not as the rejection of the church, but instead of people in the church. Oh, no, no, it's the church, Frankie. It's the church that rejects unrepentant sinners with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sorry, guy, but we got your number. <laughs> Literally. We're not deconstructing this. This isn't, well, it's just certain people in the church. No, it's the church, guy. It's the Jesus Christ. It's the body of Christ. Literally, the body of Christ is rejecting the sinner who will not repent of his sin. So now, let's squeeze in uh, another reading from our Lutheran Confessions before we go to our next break in this conversation. So back to the treatise. For the errors of papal rule, 
are manifest. And the scriptures cry out with one voice that those errors are the teaching of demons and of the Antichrist. See Timothy 4.1 and 2 Thessalonians 2.4. The doctrine of repentance has been utterly corrupted by the Pope and his minions, we read. Even if the Roman bishop did possess primacy by divine right, obedience is still not owed him when he defends ungodly worship and teaching, contrary to the gospel. Indeed, it's necessary to oppose him as the Antichrist. The errors of the Pope are blatant, and they're not trivial. The cruelty that he inflicts on godly persons, it's also manifest. And the command of God is certain that we should flee idolatry, ungodly teaching, and unjust violence. Therefore, all the godly have good, compelling, and clear reasons not to submit to the Pope. These reasons console them in the face of all the reproaches for causing scandal, schism, and discord. Yeah, we're always blamed, with which they are regularly taunted. Truly, those who agree with the Pope and defend his teaching and worship practices defile themselves with idolatry and blasphemous opinions, make themselves guilty of the blood of the godly whom the Pope persecutes, offend the glory of God, and undermine the well-being of the church because they confirm errors and other disgraces for all posterity. Let's take a break right there, my friends. We'll come back and continue our conversation, and we'll get to Caleb's question at the end of the show. So it's all coming up right after the break. Hello, friends. I'm Pastor Phil Boo, host of Thy Strong Word. Each weekday morning at 11 a.m., join me and a guest pastor as we explore God's Word, which strengthens our faith and guides our lives. You can listen over the air, online at kfuo.org, or through your favorite podcasting app. Just search for Thy Strong Word, only from KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Truly those who agree with the Pope and defend his teaching and worship practices defile themselves with idolatry and blasphemous opinions. They make themselves guilty of the blood of the godly whom the Pope persecutes, offend the glory of God, and undermine the well-being of the church because they confirm errors and other disgraces for all posterity. Dear saints, it's this last part that I pray our Roman Catholic friends understand. By not opposing the Pope, by remaining where idolatry and blasphemous lies are taught, they're undermining the well-being of the church because they confirm the errors and the other disgraces for all posterity. But let's go back to Brian Holdsworth again, Roman Catholic. He made another video asking whether Roman Catholics should remain Roman Catholic or not. Listen to what he said in his introduction. The Declaration gave permission for priests to bless same-sex couples, which as any reasonable person should have anticipated has caused controversy, confusion, and even quite a bit of division. And as also should be expected, it has rattled the faith of more than a few people. I saw more than a few comments from people saying things like, 
I don't know how I can remain Catholic or simply that they were declaring that they were leaving the church at this point. So I wanted to address that concern and respond to the question, am I going to remain Catholic and should you remain Catholic at this point? As I said at the beginning of the show, no one should remain Roman Catholic. The, the papacy has a long and sordid past of coming in the name of Christ and leading people away from Jesus. This is just the most recent example of the anti-Christian nature of Rome. Now back to my example as an appeal for consistency of position. If you don't buy Bud Light anymore, if you don't shop at Target anymore, if you canceled your Disney Plus subscription because the corporate heads are using their, their cultural influence at the global level, no doubt, to push sin on our neighbors, especially on our youngest, on the children, to push sin on posterity, then certainly you can see why you should terminate your membership in the Roman Catholic Church if you're a Roman Catholic. See, it's called a boycott in the marketplace. In the church, it's called a reformation. And so, yes, I say join it. Be consistent in the fight of faith, the good fight of faith. Be consistent in where you stand and take a stand with the rest of us who've been protesting this exact papal evil for 500 years. What do you think, friends? What do you think? Do you think we'll see an exodus, a mass exodus of Christians fleeing Roman Catholicism? I'd hope so. I pray so. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Email me at tyrellbramwell.com slash contact. That's T-Y-R-E-L-B-R-A-M-W-E-L-L.com slash contact. If so, my guess is that we'll see it begin in Africa. Archbishop Philip Agnolo of the Catholic Church of Nairobi has prohibited all clergy serving within his archdiocese from blessing irregular relationships, unions, or same-sex couples. Archbishop Agnolo clarified that the declaration goes against the word of God, the teaching of the church, and African cultural traditions. Okay, so we're about out of time. So let's, let's get to Caleb's question, shall we? about screens in the church used to display hymns and the liturgy? Why? Why put them in? That's my question to you, Caleb. And I know you're just asking for guidance, so I know it's not your question exactly, that you want to do it, I mean. But that's my first question. See, the advocates of innovation, they need to be the ones making a compelling argument for the innovation. And in my opinion, even though we're decades into this whole screens in the sanctuary thing, they never have. What's the reason for the screens? I mean, the hymns are printed in the hymnal. The liturgy is printed in the hymnal. Why put up screens? Why put up architectural afterthoughts, ecclesiastical afterthoughts, that usually end up covering up something that was designed with intent? The same idea applies to making room for things like praise band drum set, right? These are hideous afterthoughts, they were not designed to go in that space. They're not beautiful. The afterthought idea alone, Caleb, reveals the orientation of the screen. What I mean by that is that it's a worldly orientation. The church, well, we've been here since before the advent of television screens. We may not remember that as, as modern people, but yeah, we the church has been here since well before the TV screen. But now, now this tech has invaded our homes and it's captured our culture to great disdain, I should add. Let's put it in the sanctuary? 
<laughs> no, why would we do that? Because, well, it's the new way, Pastor. It's, it's innovative. It's, it's technological. It's, it'll make things flow smoother. Have you ever been to a church with tech in the sanctuary as part of the worship service? It seems to always have a snafu or two. Something always goes wrong. Technical difficulties happen all the time. And if someone says, well, let's do it because it's the new way, well, then definitely not. I don't know what other things you might want to say, what are the reasons, but if it's just because you, you want to do things the new way, then no, absolutely not. See, we don't do things just because they're new. In fact, as the church, we treat the new with a degree of caution, or at least we should. The old reason for uh, not doing something you know, the, the picked-on reason, the, the picked-on refrain, well, you know, we've always done it this way. You know, that, that whole excuse, people call it, it gets a bad rap. People are like, well, let's not make that be the reason we do something. I say the opposite. There's something really good in that simple line of thought. See, there is a reason the unchanged practice is our practice, why it became our practice, even if some people don't know enough about the topic to articulate it, there's still a reason out there. And it's a, it's a good enough reason to keep doing it until you can define why you shouldn't. This is G.K. Chesterton with his white fence, or maybe it's not the white fence. He has two fence analogies. This is him with the fence you shouldn't tear down because you don't know what's on the other side. You come across this fence in a meadow, and you don't see anything on both sides, and you think, well, why is this fence here? I'm going to tear it down. You tear it down, and then the dragon that was on the other side, you just didn't see at the moment, he's now able to get into your side which if you had let, left it up just because it had always been there, that problem would have been solved before it became a problem. See, this is Chesterton's brilliance there. That's the same thing with the screen. Just because someone, you ask someone and they can't articulate why, and like, well, we've always done it this way, that doesn't mean that's a bad reason. In fact, that's a good reason. Until the innovators can define why they need to tear down the fence, that fence should stay up. Well, let's look at screens. They've, they've grown in popularity. Right? They've grown since the first television was invented. And now they're everywhere. We all walk around with a phone in our pocket, a screen in our pocket. And as we speak, I'm currently figuring out a way to use the iPad as a teaching tool in the Bible study. There is a time and a place for screens. I mean, I'm not a Luddite. But what has society been slowly learning? What do we bemoan? The lack of personal connection, right? This, the 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 screens have created in our society, this, this impersonal culture, this disconnect that we all feel and know, even if we can't articulate it. Everyone's always looking at their screens, living through their screens. We're all cyborgs. And this is just from a cultural angle, but why then would we want to have these devices, this screen culture in our sanctuaries and contribute to it? to what's ruining so many lives. Why would we want to amplify the idea of screens everywhere you look? But one of the most common reasons given, as if it's a valid reason, because it seems loving to neighbor, is, well, what about an elderly person, Pastor? She has a hard time holding the hymnal. Put up the, the, the words on the screen, and it's, it helps her to be able to participate in the liturgy. She can't hold up the book. That's a popular reason, yeah? Well, how did the aging handle this problem before projectors started popping up in churches just a few decades ago, what, 80s, maybe maybe 70s, I don't know. How did, how did we as a church deal with this little itty-bitty tiny problem for the entirety 
of our nearly 2,000 years of screenless congregational worship. We got the job done somehow. The answer to that question, the word we're looking for is memory. Yeah, memory. By the time you're so old you can't manage to hold the weight of a book, you should know the liturgy by heart. (laughs) I mean, you should even know most of the hymns by heart. And this reveals the importance of using a doctrinally sound hymnal and then not deviating from it, using the same one, and not branching out to bring in different hymns, but learning a repertoire, expanding. We have enough hymns, wonderful hymns, in our hymnal to expand for an entire life. And then when Sally, who's five, is 95, and she can't hold up her book, she can still participate. But the elderly, they don't know the liturgy right? Yeah, that's a problem. But that's not the 2,000-year-old practices fault, our old way of doing things. Whose responsibility or whose fault is it that today our old people don't know the liturgy by heart? They, They can't sing hymns from memory. That person's fault, yeah? That elderly person's fault. And I would say we contribute to it. We, we contribute and we aid and abed this problem, oftentimes, in large part, because churches thought they'd be cute and tech-savvy and they'd march to the beat of the world, and, and we brought in contemporary worship innovations, hindering our members, hurting those who are trying to memorize and learn the Word of God. As C.S. Lewis says, to be able to participate in the liturgy like you breathe without even thinking about the next thing. I have the custom, since I'm out here in California, we get some new people coming in all the time, and there's exposure to the liturgy, and even our older people don't fully know the liturgy from practices before when when they would diverge from it. I'm, I'm of the custom now to help them and guide them along by telling them what page we're on. But the goal is to, to not have to do that. The goal is to be able to come in and to be able to worship hands-free if you want to, to know what's coming. All right, so that's that. I hope that helps, Caleb. I really appreciate the question. It was a great question. God be praised, dear friend, that you're growing in your faith. And as you said, you're becoming more Lutheran than you've ever been. Amen. That's great news. And thanks for sharing that with me and building me up in those words. And uh, yeah. That's the show, my friends. That's the show. Talk to you next week. Godspeed and God bless us. Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support Cross Defense at KFUO.org.